morning. I was just thinking as we sing praises together and as we've just been greeting one another and uh, just what a blessing it is to be with God's people. Is it not? It's an amazing gift that God has given to us that we have this fellowship with one another and that this fellowship that is grounded in, in prayer and grounded in, in His Word in knowing Him, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And He surrounds us with other people that we can do life together with. And it's just an amazing blessing. And I know the enemy, we've talked about this a bit lately uh, in different groups and with different individuals, but the enemy really tries to isolate us from one another. And as he does so, he, he really has a heyday. And God has given us the body of Christ that, that we might grow together, that we might encourage one another, that we might exhort one another. That has nothing to do with my sermon today, but I just, just want to say what a blessing it is to be here with you this morning and what joy what joy you bring me, and, and I am th- thankful for you. Well, as we turn to Hebrews chapter 3 this morning, let's go to our God in prayer and ask Him for His blessing on our time in His Word. Lord God, we, we thank You once again for this book, these ancient words that were written a couple thousand years ago. Uh, there's no other book that we take such delight in that's, that's written in modern history or in ancient times. But You've given us these words that we might know You. You've revealed Yourself. You've protected these words. You've preserved them so that what we have today, we can rely on. That we can walk in obedience to it. And You take these words today and Your Holy Spirit works in His ministry of illumination and He sheds light on what it means so that we can learn to understand it. And through study and through uh, those aha moments that we just kind of see what's in front of us. Uh, he does that ministry and then sheds light on where our lives need to change. We just thank You that You have given us this great gift. We thank You for how You've provided for us, Your people, in giving us one another and giving us the church and giving us Your Word and most of all, giving us Yourself and Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You for Your Spirit who indwells us. Father, I pray that You would bless this time. I pray that You would open our eyes Help us to see what's before us. Help us to have ears to hear. I pray that You would soften our hearts and that as our minds understand these things, might our, our hearts be softened towards sin and, and might our hearts be softened towards areas of unbelief. And I pray that You would transform us and do Your work this morning as You continue to complete this good work which You started in us. It's in Your name we ask this. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, again, please turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We've been talking about how the book of Hebrews is somewhat like a a wheel. And and in the center of that wheel, we have this this hub that we keep coming back to. And from that hub, there's all these spokes in which he's, he's making his argument. And then around that hub, we have this central doctrine that Jesus is superior. And we follow one spoke out to the rim of the wheel and we see how Jesus is greater than the angels. And we come back to that hub and, and he talks about the, the superiority of Jesus. And, and, and he continues in this argument of showing us how Jesus Christ is superior over and over and over and over again as we come back to that. And you see, the author of Hebrews realized that the people that he was writing to and that the people that were listening to this sermon originally, that they were faced with a temptation. The temptation to go after something else other than Jesus. They were surrounded by voices that called out and said, something else is better. Now, 
again, for the original audience, that something was largely about rituals, about holy days, about a system of sacrifices, about a priesthood in Jerusalem. But, but 2,000 years later, the, the people of our world that you live in and are, are faced with a similar temptation. And it's just that that something else might look a little bit different in your life and might look a little bit different in the lives of the people around us. But for each of us, that something is presented in different forms. Different things that our heart goes after. Different things that we give ourselves to and we devote our lives to, our time, our energy, our money. Something else that tries to take the place of Jesus in our lives. Perhaps you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus. And there is something else that's saying, nah, this, this Jesus stuff is interesting, but just not for you. Because you love this other something and it offers you something that's greater that will satisfy your soul's cravings. Hebrews says, no, Jesus is better than that. For some of you, you've chosen to follow Jesus. And you too are tempted to make compromises in your daily walk with Him. And there are many somethings that, that rise up in your life as which call out to you just on a very practical, everyday level. And you're tempted to follow something else just today because it feels satisfying. And so our, our worship becomes divided and we, tend, we have this tendency to listen to those voices that call us back to our old selves. I love how the author of Hebrews transitions from chapter 2 to this new section. And Do you remember how, how he's been showing us that Jesus was greater than the angels in the first two chapters? we remember that? Hopefully. It's been just a week. So. Um, and when Jesus, who has this divine nature, he, he shocks the universe by adding to Himself a human nature. And so Jesus becomes... The one who is greater than the angels, who created the angels, puts himself in a position where he has now made himself lower than the angels. And, and then he completes God's perfect plan by suffering on the cross for us. Those who are created as inferior creatures to the angels. And now he calls those who have trusted him in faith his brothers, his sisters. And so in this process, he pulls, he pulls the ultimate switcheroo and, and he elevates his brothers to a position in which we share his glory. He shares his glory with us. One day, we will, we will rule with him in his kingdom. The Bible tells us that one day we will judge angels. You and I will be in charge of judging angels and their eternity. He gives us those responsibilities. We will reign with Him and we will share eternity with Jesus. Can you imagine how Satan despises that switch? Satan who thought he could be as great as God and he watches as God creates this creature that's lower than himself and then God does this amazing thing. He becomes lower than the angels himself and then he leads us to a position where now we are positionally in a a place where we've been given authority over the angels themselves. I imagine he just... Drives, drives him crazy. But that's where he starts in chapter 3. And he says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling... And then here's his big idea. He says, Consider Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest of our confession. Consider Jesus. Now, that word to consider, it, it means to carefully observe something. I, I want you to pay attention to that. To carefully observe Jesus. Give Him consideration. Pay attention because 
This is of great importance. Uh, tax season's coming up. Some of you have already started diving into it. Some of you are already done. Some of you are putting it off to the very last moment. But how do you think the IRS would react if you didn't consider the details of your taxes? If you said, I'll just kind of wing it and just throw some numbers on the page. It's something that you carefully observe or you pay someone else to carefully consider the details because getting that right is important. Some of you are going to be having heart surgery in the next 5 to 10 to 20 years. You're not planning on it, but it's coming. You don't know if you're one of those, but you're going to have a surgeon who's going to take a knife and he's going to go into your internal organs or he's going to send a probe into your body and he's going to do all of it on a computer screen. How would you feel if the surgeon that you choose isn't the type of person that really pays attention to the details? He says, you know, I, I think I've done something like this before and so you know, I could probably do this in my sleep. You're going to choose someone who carefully considers every single cut and every move because your, your heart's kind of an important thing. Kind of. And getting this right is important. Now, that's the word that Hebrews uses about Jesus. And he says, consider Jesus. This thing right here, this Jesus, is important. He describes Him as our Apostle. It's the only time that the Bible uses that word for someone other than those men who were eyewitnesses to the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But, but the meaning is, is similar. Just as those men were appointed by Christ to testify to the truth about Jesus, in the same way, Jesus has been specifically appointed by the Father to testify to us of the truth. The truth about God. And so in essence, Jesus is the final word from God. Consider what Jesus testifies and what He shows us about God. But then also, He calls Him our High Priest. The High Priest of our confession. And again, Jesus is our mediator. He's the one who's come and, and He's come between us and God to make a way from us to God and, and, and to restore this relationship. And so Jesus is not only the final Word from God, but Jesus is also the only way to God. Therefore, as those who are called His brothers, as those who are called holy, he says, consider Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. Getting this right is the most important thing in your life. I'd like to read a quote from George Guthrie that I read before we did our reading of the book of Hebrews a few weeks ago. It's a good reminder of what this book is all about, but I think he recaptures that idea. He says, the main message of Hebrews is this, that God has spoken to us in His Son. The God of the universe has communicated preeminently in the person of Jesus. Your perseverance in the Christian faith will be in direct proportion to the clarity with which you see who Jesus is and what He has accomplished on our behalf. It's a very, very important thought. If you and I become fuzzy, he continues, in our thinking about the identity of Jesus, who He is, about the nature of the Gospel, what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, it is going to affect our perseverance in the faith. And so what the author of Hebrews is doing is trying to give us a very powerful, Scripture-driven perspective on who Jesus is and what He accomplished on our behalf. And so again, Hebrews. 
is going to come back over and over and over and over again to this central hub of the wheel where he says Jesus is superior. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater than all the other things in your life that are crying out to you saying, pay attention over here. And then he's going to make this argument to show how Jesus is greater than all those other somethings that call for your attention. In chapters 1 and 2, we saw, we, again, we followed that first spoke of the wheel out to the, the rim and back and saw how he argues that Jesus is superior to the angels. Now, if you're in a, a Jewish audience that's being tempted to go back into Judaism, back into that Old Testament law, what might one of the other things be that, that would call out to you to say, hey, this is greater than Jesus? What would be the next thing you'd think of? There's an individual that's really important to the Jews. Moses, yeah. Moses, who gave them the law. Moses, who led them out of Egypt, who took them to Mount Sinai, led them in the wilderness. The one who went up on the mountain and spoke to angels. The one who spoke to God and received the law. And so within this Jewish audience, you can imagine that, that Moses would be, would be considered within this very high light. He's great. And with this law as central in your life, you can imagine that one of the arguments that your friends back in Jerusalem would be making would be this. That, that Moses is better. That Moses was sent by God to deliver the people out of Egypt. Moses was a faithful servant and God used him to lead the people out of the wilderness. Moses led the people to the promised land. And so Hebrews is going to answer this and show us how Jesus is not only superior to the angels, but He's also superior to Moses. And He's going to follow this out to the rim and, and back again as we come back to this core teaching that Jesus is superior. So let's follow that argument as he presents it in chapter 3. So first, in verses, in, um, verses 2-4, through four, Hebrews shows us how Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. And he shows us this by making a simple comparison between Jesus and Moses. He says God sent both of them and both of them were faithful. And understand that he's not trying to denigrate Moses. He's not trying to say, hey, look at Moses. He's really this scumbag. You know, what, what are you thinking and following this guy? You know, this Moses. He's, he's, not, he's not doing that. He, Moses was, was a, a, a saint uh, that was um, highly respected because he was obedient, because he was faithful. And so, so the author of Hebrews is taking that uh, taking Moses and he's going to build off of that as a stepping stone to show how Jesus is even greater than Moses. And so it's not a negative statement, but instead Moses is the starting point and Jesus is simply greater because of one simple reason. Jesus is God and Moses is not. In this comparison, Hebrews uses an illustration of, of a house. Which is greater? The, the house or the builder who made the house? Craig? The builder, right? I'll, I'll say it because you don't have to say it about yourself. When we were visiting the Beckers in France last September, we made a stop in Paris. And one of the buildings that I think that I enjoyed the most, I think Angie probably enjoyed the most as well, was, um, was the Saint-Chapelle. Uh, the, the sacred chapel as it's called. And it, it was a, a beautiful chapel that was just encompassed with, with stained glass. And every window column all the way around this chapel um, every window column told a story from a, a book of the Bible. 
And each column represented a book or a section of Scripture. And then within that column, every single frame of glass told an individual story. You look and you could see there's the story of Cain and Abel. And there's the story of Abraham. And there's Isaac being sacrificed. And all these hundreds of little frames all the way around shining in these hues of blue and red. And as the the sun reflects the light in, the whole whole room is is lit with these colorful schemes of of, um, just vibrant colors. And then it's all framed in this Gothic style. The building was magnificent. But the entire time that we marveled at this structure, we looked at the intricacies of, of the, 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 the etchings in the walls and the, 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 the beautiful artistry of the glass. And our minds were drawn to who did this? Who was it that had the, the mind and the creativity to, to create something like this? Our attention was drawn to the artist whose creativity and skill was necessary to make such an incredible masterpiece. In the illustration of Hebrews, he's pointing that, that Moses is a masterpiece like the Sainte Chapelle. The, the Jews, they rightfully appreciated the ministry of Moses and the role of Moses and, and, and the contribution that he made in giving them the law. But Hebrews is quick to point out that that as great as Moses was, that Jesus is worthy of of more glory because Moses is just the building that was made by someone else. And the one who made Moses and the one who is the builder of all things is God. Hebrews is telling us and couldn't be clearer in what it is declaring, Jesus is God. For those that say that the Bible never makes a claim that Jesus is God, just point them to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, where it says blatantly, Jesus is God. God is the one who creates all things, and Jesus is the one who made Moses. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses because Jesus is God himself, and Jesus himself made Moses as well as all things. Now the second illustration that Hebrews uses to quickly show us that Jesus is superior to Moses is to point out how Moses was a great servant in God's household. Uh, Let me point this out by a a modern day example of this idea. Uh, How many of you know who Tony Tony Johnstone Burt is? Anybody know who Tony Johnstone Burt is? No one? Not one of you. No one knows who Tony... Tony He's in a line of like 30 to 50 to 60 individuals um, Sir Tony Johnston Burt. No, maybe I have no idea. I didn't know who Tony Johnston Burt was until last night. You see, Tony is the master of household at Buckingham Palace. Been a long line of people that have been doing this job since 1600s, and he is in charge of about 400 people. 400 people who operate the home of the British royal family. He oversees the chauffeurs, the plumbers, the electricians, the chefs, the footmen, the cleaners, uh, and two people on staff that have the sole job of making sure that all 300 clocks are taken care of throughout the house. They spend their career doing all this, and he oversees all these people. But by the end of this sermon, very few of you are even going to remember his name. But if I were to mention the name of Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge, I don't even have to mention his last name. How many of you, most of you know exactly who I'm talking about, right? Some of you don't care, but, but you know who I'm talking about. You see, in the scope of history, which of these two men is likely to be remembered for their greatness? 
And that's the point that Hebrews is making. Moses was a great and faithful servant. But we must remember that he was just a servant in the household of God. Jesus is great and faithful in the household of God. Not as one of the servants in the household, but as the Son. And so Jesus is superior to Moses, just like the builder of a house is superior to the house itself. Because Jesus made Moses. Jesus is God. But also Jesus is superior to Moses, just like the faithful son is superior to the faithful servant. Therefore, he says, consider Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. Because Jesus is greater than all things, because He's greater than the angels, because He's greater than Moses, because He's greater than everything else in your life that says, hey, over here, pay attention. Pay close attention to who Jesus is and what He's accomplished. Getting this right is important. Okay, now you remember in chapters 1 and 2 how the author of Hebrews, he spends a whole chapter talking about angels, talking about how Jesus is greater than the angels, and we did this string of pearl things, and we looked at all these Old Testament passages. And, um, and he takes this whole chapter, but then he doesn't want to wait till the end of the book to get to all the application. He goes right to it at the beginning of chapter 2. And... and um, and Hebrews, if you remember, is a sermon. It's written by a guy who's a preacher. It's written by a guy who likes to poke and prod and make you feel guilty and that sort of thing. And so Jesus, he says, is the final word from God. And he's going to compare Jesus with the angels. And then he compares Jesus with Moses. But this time, he's only going to spend five and a half verses showing us how Jesus is greater than Moses. And then he's going to jump right into the application. And he's going to start... He's going to start throwing things at us. He just argued how Jesus, how God is the builder of the house, and so we are to consider Jesus. Uh, we should consider if we also are part of that house, he now goes to say. He's, as he's talking about this house, the question comes, am I a part of that household? Am I a part of this house of God? And so he goes right to that and he applies it and he says, are, are, are we faithful servants like Moses is? And look at the end of verse 6. He says, and if... And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now, now did you catch how he said that? Because that, that, that is a huge statement. Let me read it again. And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now, that's a big statement. A lot of people read that and they recognize the tension within this passage and they have a lot of questions when they read that verse. That's a big if statement. We are His house if we hold fast. Verse 14 is going to do something similar. It's a similar conditional clause. Verse 14, if you want to skip ahead, he says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And what the author of Hebrews is teaching here is the doctrine of what we call the perseverance of the saints. You see, twice he uses a very big word in this chapter, and that big word is if. And he's writing to an audience and telling them, consider Jesus, consider whether you are part of this household of God. And he says, this is important. And he makes this huge statement because he wants to grab your attention. And he wants you to understand that this is the most important thing in your life. And you cannot get this wrong. You can't. And he tells them you are a part of the house of God if you hold fast. You share in Christ if you persevere. 
And so there's two ways to approach these big if statements. One approach that many have taken is the path uh, where you'll see that um, they look at this passage and they suggest to you that Hebrews is teaching you that you can lose your salvation. That Hebrews is saying that and suggesting that Jesus saved us, but somehow you have to keep your salvation, you have to keep yourself within this salvation, and you have to persevere by your works, by keeping yourself there, or, or that you can make a decision to pull yourself out of it somehow. In other words, you're, you're saved one moment, but then you can be unsaved. By God's grace, we are saved, but then I have to keep myself saved by my works or by my perseverance or some contribution that I bring to the table. Now, I want you to understand that that's not what Hebrews is teaching us. Uh, Paul makes some similar statements throughout his epistles. James is going to talk about the, our works and how our works are essential within salvation, but as a demonstration of the salvation that's already there. And so rather than, than teaching us that you can somehow lose your salvation, somehow you can walk away from Christ, what Hebrews is demonstrating is this. If you are genuinely part of God's house, then the same God who made you a part of that house will complete the work that He began in you and you will hold fast to the end. If you have come to share in Christ, then the same God who was faithful in your justification will be the the same God who is faithful in your sanctification and you will persevere to the end. But the author of Hebrews, who's preaching to this, this to his Hebrew audience, probably first in a, a real sermon, or maybe he preached it a few times, and then he's writing it as an epistle now. You see, the author of Hebrews, as a preacher, he has to deal with the same tension that every pastor and preacher has to deal with. Every Sunday, just use myself as an example here, every Sunday I stand before you and I preach God's Word to God's people. I preach with the general presupposition that I am preaching a message from God's Word to people who have come to repentance. But at the same time, though I am preaching a message that is, that is directed to an audience that is saved, I am fully aware that there are some of you here today who have not come to that point. And so there's this tension for me as a pastor as I preach God's Word, knowing that many of you are saved, and that's the general gist of what I preach, but I understand that there are some of you that aren't there yet and you have not trusted Jesus personally. The author of Hebrews also recognizes this tension, but he he does a lot better job than I do, I'll have to say. You see, he understands that he's writing this epistle to a church that's filled with believers in Jesus Christ a largely Hebrew audience. There are probably a few Gentiles among them. But he's fully aware that there are some who have one foot out the door already. He's writing to an audience that are largely believers, but there are some among them they will fall away and they will not hold fast to Jesus Christ because they have not truly placed their faith, their confidence, and their hope in Him. They're thinking already about faith in Jesus, but they're also thinking about all those other somethings that are calling to them. This particular audience, they're thinking about angels. They're thinking about Moses. And and maybe Jesus isn't greater than those things. And so he's making those arguments and saying, look, consider Jesus. And and there's a large part or a small part of his audience that are, again, they have one foot out the door and, and they haven't trusted Christ, but those other somethings are appealing to their flesh. And my friends, some of you here today are in that position. 
You're, you're toying with this idea of following Jesus. But you have not yet turned from your sin. There's some of you who understand the theology of what Jesus did. Some of you can even share the Gospel with others. You, you understand the message. You, you know what the Gospel is. You know the points and you have your four points. and You, you get that part. You could probably share it with someone and they could get saved. But you yourself, you yourself have not trusted Christ personally. You know what one must believe in order to be saved, but you have not yet received the free gift that He offers to you because you have not yet turned from your sin and repentance. And there's also some of you who may be here who are in a position in which you've been deceived. And you go, yeah, I'm saved. I've been saved all my life. I know a lot of people are, well, of course I'm saved. I'm an American. And we laugh, but that people really believe that. I grew up a Christian. I grew up in church. But they have no idea what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And some of you may be deceived in a similar way. You're imitating a form of godliness and you're acting out Christianity, but you've trusted in something else other than Jesus Christ. And perhaps you're trusting that you'll be good enough and that that's going to get you in somehow. Perhaps you're trusting in a prayer that you said when you invited Jesus into your heart, not really knowing what that means. Or maybe you followed some other formula. You walked down an aisle. You raised a hand. You did something. And and all this time, your faith has not been in Christ, but in some work that you did. A prayer that you said. An act of, of demonstrating in front of other people. Some thing. But your faith was in that work rather than Jesus. And in the end, you'll be shocked to find out that you did not persevere to the end because you were never part of the household to begin with. My friends, we cannot get this wrong. I appreciate how John Piper expressed this concept about this passage. He says, the condition is future. The if. If we hold fast assurance to the end, but the effect of the condition relates to the past. We have become partakers of Christ. So it's clear that the point here is not hold fast to your assurance in order to become in the future a partaker of Christ. The point is hold fast to your assurance in order to show, to prove, to evidence and demonstrate that you are a partaker in Christ. Once again, the big idea of this chapter, consider Jesus. Give careful thought to this One who is greater than all of the angels. Give careful thought and attention to this One who is greater than even Moses. Give careful thought to who Jesus is because you must not get this wrong. It is important. Jesus is superior to all those other somethings that you are tempted to choose instead. And so give careful consideration to what you believe about the One who is the final Word from God. Be careful to give careful consideration to the One who is the only way to Him. Now in the first few verses, Hebrews, he, gives us, he gave us some positive illustrations of how Jesus is superior. Uh, but throughout the remainder of chapter 3, he's going to share with us a, a negative example of those who were unable to enjoy God's rest because of their unbelief. 
And in this, he's going to show how, how it's their unbelief that causes them to not persevere because they were never believers in the first place. And starting in verse 7, he quotes another passage. And this time it also again comes from Psalms. It's a psalm that Jane just read for us a few moments ago. And the Jews long had recognized that Psalm 95 was this beautiful call to, to the joy and to the benefits of, a, of God's salvation. But like our passage today, Psalm 95 contains a big if. A big if. Again, in Psalm 95, he begins and says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. He continues and he talks about those benefits of that salvation and those benefits of this relationship with the Lord. But then, starting his quote in verse 7 from Psalm, Psalm chapter 95, um, where in, in Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8, he gives this if that Psalm 95 gives to us. The second half of Psalm 95 recounts how the Israelites, they hardened their hearts against God. God did all these things for them. He did use Moses, but God is the one who delivered them out of Egypt. God is the one who led them through the wilderness. God is the one who eventually led the people to the promised land. And yet these people hardened their hearts against God and they chose to rebel against Him. Entire generation. One of the Psalms says their, their bodies dropped in the wilderness one after another for 40 years every single person over the age of 40 died in the wilderness over those 40 years until the new generation was ready to go into the promised land and an entire generation died in the wilderness because of the rebellion against the one who had offered them his rest and and hebrews sets this up as an example of the peril of an unbelieving heart it's an example to you of the peril of unbelief you see, the Israelites died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And look at verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, let there, lest there be in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. And that word today comes from Psalm 95 where he says, Today, if you hear His voice. As long as it's called today, let us exhort one another that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, and there's our if, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And then again he quotes verse 15, as it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And you see, like the original audience of the book of Hebrews, uh, some of you have still not come to Christ in, in faith. And, and you're still in unbelief. But the judgment that the generation, but the judgment that, that generation experienced does not have to be yours. And the message that the author of Hebrews calls to you today is consider Jesus. And as long as today is called today, consider Him. Verse 16 says that that generation heard and yet they rebelled even though Moses led them out of Egypt. That generation had the opportunity to experience God's rest, but they were disobedient. And they were unable to experience the promise that God gave to them because of their unbelief. Now this all relates to this discussion about Jesus being greater, being superior to Moses, because 
just like Moses was a faithful servant, Jesus also is a faithful servant, only He's the Son and He's God. They experienced God's wrath because of their unbelief when Moses led them out of slavery. And now we have one who is greater than Moses. You and I have one who is superior to Moses. Our deliverance isn't just a servant in God's household. Ours is the Son. Ours is a deliverer who is God Himself who took on flesh. And Hebrews is going to continue this discussion through chapter 4, but allow me to just point out the promise of chapter 4, verse 1 that he holds out to us. He says, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear. Let, let us fear. Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And my friends, that is a call to every single one of us. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how long you've gone to church. I don't care how many days in a row you've done your Bible study. Every single one of us should in fear, should ask ourselves and consider Jesus, am I really saved? Do I really know Him? Or am I just going through the motions? Have I been so deceived that I've thought all my life I'm in, but I don't really have this relationship? God has given us good news of great salvation, a message of great joy, a message of great hope, even greater than the Israelites had received from Egypt. And the rest that Jesus offers is so much greater than what was made available through the ministry of Moses. And so this is the message of Hebrews 3. Don't be like those who died in unbelief. Don't be disobedient by rejecting God's Son hear and respond consider and pay attention to the son several years ago i had a really good friend we grew up together she was a couple years older than i was in high school and um she uh, married another one of angie and my really good friends and we did an internship together a few months into our internship um she had this moment you know, we'd gone to youth group our whole lives. She, she heard the Gospel. She understood these things. And then we came to this moment and she said, I'm not saved. I have never responded. I know, I know what I'm supposed to do. I've understood the Gospel, but I have never responded to my sin and responded to Christ for salvation. I just always went through the motions. And it was just exciting to watch this friend that we all thought was a believer. You know? We would have expected. Of course she's saved. And we watched this beautiful transformation in her life as God changed her heart and did a work that was amazing. My friends, let each one of us consider Jesus. Consider who Jesus is and what He's accomplished through His suffering. And you cannot get this wrong. If you have one foot out the door and you feel the pull of what the world offers you, if you're here today and you're going, I'm considering Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it, but I've got this over here and I'm not sure which one I love more. As long as today is called today, hear His voice. Do not harden your hearts. If today you realize that your confidence has not been in Jesus Christ, but in the hope that, that you have somehow contributed enough to earn your salvation, today, if you hear His voice, do not Harden your hearts. 
If you're here today and you go, you know, sin just doesn't really bother me. I understand who Jesus is. I understand that He died on the cross. I believe that He rose from the grave. I believe those are historical facts. But, but I'm not really bothered by sin. My friends, that's probably an indication, could be an indication, that you may not know Him. That you understand all the facts of the Gospel, but you've never responded and turned from your sin to Him. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And if today you've come to the realization that your trust has been in some work that you did, that, that you think you earned God's favor rather than in Jesus Himself, who is the final Word from God, who is the only way to God, then today, hear His voice. Do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. And as long as we have today today is the day to trust him today is the day to walk away from all the other things some things that call to you and if your trust is indeed in him then you are in his house and you will complete the good work which he has started in you he will complete the good work which he started in you by his grace you will hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope who is jesus christ Father in heaven, we, um, we've read some tough words. I, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. Wherever each one is at in their own walk with You, if, if they have not yet come to that point of repentance, whether they're just blinded by it, and the enemy is keeping them from understanding, or whether they have put their trust in something else, or whether something else is calling to them and they're still making that decision, Father, I pray that today You would show them that today is the day of salvation and that not one would leave here without knowing Jesus Christ. Without considering Jesus Christ. And Father, for, for those that are in the household of God, but they're struggling with the sin, they're struggling with Perhaps something in their life that's calling to them. I, I pray that I pray that you would teach us to love Jesus, and that that love would grow deeper and deeper and more fervent as you continue your work in us that you began on the day of our salvation. Lord, we love you. Pray that you be glorified in each one of us as we hate sin as we love Jesus, as we walk in obedience, not by proving ourselves to You, not by, not by giving You our everything that's going to bring us to You, but, but by following You in obedience by responding to Your Son. Honor Yourself in our lives, we pray, and in our salvation. Amen.